If you're uh, watching online with us and worshiping with us this morning, uh, we, we know who most of you are. There's about, we have like a, there's like 20 of you that watch every single week and you watch, I was going to say you watch the whole show, but it's not. <laughs> you worship with us for the whole time and just know that you're part of us, you're part of our family, and we love you. And if we can uh, uh, reach out and touch you during uh, this season or any time, uh, that we're really here for you. So, uh, so to the 20 and the many others that are visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you uh, into uh, a time of worship this morning. And for those that are in my, in my midst, uh, good morning, welcome. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and briefly Isaiah chapter 2. And our text this morning is going to be found in John 14, verse 26. It's, a, it's one verse, um, and uh, it's very, very meaningful uh, uh, to me uh, this morning. If you were listening, there was a prayer that was prayed earlier um, that really impacted uh, my heart. And some of you that know me, uh, you know that I can tend to get emotional from time to time, that, that the, the exterior is not all that's to me. There's part of me that uh, sometimes I, I, I just get teary-eyed and um, get caught up in the moment, uh, watching the dean's kids lead worship and dad. It's just... But here's the prayer. Uh, I'd like to begin with uh, this morning before we go to Isaiah chapter 9 is, is to kind of read this prayer. Uh, and I'm most likely going to close with it, so just prepare your heart. Prayer of this week of Advent thematically is peace. The prayer that was prayed went like this, Lord, Prepare our hearts this Advent to receive your grace in a new and deeper way that frees us from self-reliance and worldliness. You are the one who satisfies. You are the one who rescues. You are the one that goes before us to make a way of freedom and a path to peace. May the glory of your name and the riches of your grace be proclaimed this season. And we prayed that prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. When you look at Isaiah chapter 9, there's a piece of scripture that speaks to my heart this season. We were scheduled to do a slightly different text, but my heart and my emotions sometimes can, can be a mess. <laughs> some, some of you are, can identify with that. Some of you, just me saying that makes you feel uncomfortable. 
but this text is so strong, um, speaks to the heart, yet, yet causes somewhat of a question, somewhat of a paradox. How can that be, how can both these things be true? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you know it so well. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and prince of peace. And for me, that's the paradox here, is that Messiah Jesus is called the prince of peace, actually the prince of shalom. And yet, that promise like butts up against the reality of life, where at times, Life is anything but peace. Um, sometimes I have to almost cut the cable cord because war and conflict and distress, they're all about. My neighbors, some of them feel the same way. They're like, I thought he was the Prince of Peace, yet this is my reality. Isaiah chapter 2 speaks to the same thing. Come there with me. Isaiah chapter 2. This is the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days. And if you would take note of that phrase, it, it will come about. And then the prophet says, in the latter days. And that's the key to understanding how, how does this promise exist in this, my reality? How do I understand the Prince of Peace in my reality today? How do I help my neighbors in their reality? And the prophet says that it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the, as the highest of all mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and the nations shall flow to it and many peoples will come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Come, let us go to the house of the God of Jacob. That he may teach us his way, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and he shall decide disputes for many peoples. And this is on, if you've ever visited uh, the United Nations, they, they have this. I can't remember whether it's on the Security Council wall or as you walk in. They have this as part of an inscription on, on one of the walls. 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their shears into pruning hooks, and nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And all of us say, may it be so, Lord. Now, how do we as well, I'll leave you out. You're part of the equation here this morning because we're teaching, but, but how do I take my emotional stuff and the promise and the reality that I live in, how do I understand how Jesus is the Prince of Peace? How do I access that? To do that requires a little bit of theological reflection. My neighbors struggle with that. Requires some thoughtfulness about God and his ways and how he operates. So I have a little bit of advantage and so don't you. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about promise, not dodging reality, looking at fulfillment, and what we come to learn is that the prophets look through it and they see the high points of God's activity towards mankind and they call attention to that. But they leave out what? They leave out these intervening valleys, just like we talked about being up at Mount Major and looking out towards the Ossipi and not seeing Wolfboro, but on a clear day seeing Mount Washington. Isaiah is caught in that theological way of prophesying. And when he says the Prince of Peace, he's certainly talking about the return of the exiles from Babylon and establishing the worship of the temple and somewhat having peace. He's looking beyond that to Emmanuel, God with us. He's looking forward to the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. But he's looking way beyond that to Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 21, where you see the millennial reign of Christ and Christ literally, the the, the, the Jewish people experience salvation and God himself, Jesus Christ, comes to rule and reign on earth and brings all things under his submission. And we see Revelation 21, the new heavens and the new earth and that great promise that we all long for. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more death. There'll be, there'll, there'll, there'll be no longer despair. But the people of God will dwell in the presence of God and experience his joy forever and ever and everlasting joy. And in the midst of my dilemma, I long for that, but live here. Do you? Do you? Looking for that, but living here. And what helps me resolve it is Understanding that theological principle, but also understanding what Jesus has done at his first coming 
while I wait for the second because the first, we live in the light of what he has done in that first coming. There's one verse that helps me. It's found in John chapter 14. Could you, could you come there? And John chapter 14 is, is for real people that are living in the present tense right now. Because Jesus looks at his disciples and he speaks to them because their hearts are troubled and they lack peace. And what Jesus does for them is that he doesn't, he doesn't, send, he doesn't send an intermediary. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't send a, a substitute to minister to their heart. He doesn't delegate it to like a group of angels. Go and give them peace, but he comes himself. He comes himself to do only what the Son of God could do. When we look at the word peace, it's in your notes, there's two. We've looked at them before. Peace from the Old Testament. We know so well it is the word what? Shalom. Irene is the Greek that's used in the New Testament, the Koine Greek that's used in the New Testament to capture that same thing, peace. But when you drill down on both these words, the peace that, that God is talking about primarily is relational peace. It's that it's that peace where there's, there's love and there's acceptance and there's a, there's a restoration. There's a, well, there's a healing of brokenness. Have you ever, we all have, a broken relationship that is restored and what happens to your heart? It's like, wow. I feel... No conflict. I feel at rest. I, I feel comfort. I feel love. I feel peace. See, when, when the Lord uses the word peace, he's talking about something that was broken and something that he restored. Come to the text with me. It's only one verse. It's John chapter 14. Jesus says, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Come with me to Romans chapter 4 and understand that what is the nature and the character of this peace that, that, that Jesus comes, <laughs> he, he comes to himself to do it. He doesn't leave it to any man or any angelic being. He says, it's my peace. And, I, and I've come. Romans chapter 4. Paul's talking about, come with me to verse 22. Prior to that, he's talking about Abraham's faith and how it was counted to him as righteousness. In verse 23, Paul writes, but the words, it was counted to him, referring to Abraham. It says it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, and we say, yes, 
How was it written? Why was it written? Paul doesn't leave us hanging. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have cessation of hostilities, a relationship that was broken by sin, is now healed, now restored, and because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you went to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul goes on and on about the peace that we have to God, and he's explicit, he says, Jesus Christ is our peace. Christ says in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. What are the implications of that? Is that our relationship with God has been restored out of the love of the Father sending the Son. And because of that relationship has been restored, who restored it? Did we restore it? No. Christ restored it by being that perfect Lamb of God, being that sacrifice, being that atoning work, being our substitute. And because Christ has secured that peace with God, we can't lose it because He has secured it. What are the implications for my life? No matter what comes, He loves me. No matter what difficulties come, he stands by me. No what emotional swings this little, you know, Irish preacher has, he'll never leave me in my distress. He'll never forsake me. Neither things present nor future, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation will ever be able to remove me from the love of Christ. So in the middle of the storm, I stand secure in a peace that, that surpasses my ability to understand it. I look to the mountain ahead. I want that mountain. There'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more war, no more conflict. I want that. But today I live and dwelt with the Holy Spirit in a relationship that was once broken by sin, but now restored by Christ, and therefore I stand in the love of Christ and in his strength and in his courage. If your emotions are like, whoo! Sometimes my emotions, they come, it's like, it's like watching the tide at, in Salem Harbor, Mass Bay. Here it comes. You know it's coming. It ain't going to stop. And I say, Lord, I, I step into who I am in Christ. I receive the love of the Father into my heart. Second thing we can see in our one verse teaching this morning is that this peace is not 
as the world gives, it's not like the world. And so when we look at John 16, 23, Jesus is talking with the boys and he's honest with them. He says, in this world, you will have what? You're going to have troubles. You're going to have tribulations. James chapter 1 says, you're going to have trials. It's going to happen. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, it says, in the last days, and then he lists out the characteristics of the last day. Are we in the last days? I'd say, yes, we are. You read those characteristics of the last days? And Paul summarizes it like this. You will have difficulties. So how do we resolve this? I look for that mountain. I have this promise. Yet this is the reality. Take a look at the last verse. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you like that verse? No, you don't? Yeah. We all like that verse. But I have a peskiness about me. It's, ask Nancy, it's kind of an annoying quality. It's endearing. But I always want to ask, when I see the promises of God, I always want to ask just, just the one word question. Maybe you do too. How? How is that going to happen? How is my heart not going to be troubled? How? How does it happen? And what I'm grateful for is Jesus shows me the how. There's a section of scripture. It's found in John chapter 12, 27 through 28. And John records this simple truth. It's going to be shocking to you. It says this, Jesus was troubled in soul. Say, what? Yeah. Jesus, soul, his heart was troubled, just like mine, just like some of you. And so, what did he do? He cried out to his father. He said, Father, help me. And then there was the voice. And his father responded to him and strengthened and comforted his son. There's one last part of scripture that's helpful to me, helps me with the, the how. It's found in Philippians uh, chapter 4. Would you come there with me? Because the how is important. We can talk about, oh, the, let's have more joy. Everybody say amen. More joy. Yeah. More love. Sounds like a good song, Ben. Where's Ben? We might want to close with that song. More power. More peace. 
But if you don't deal with the how, you don't cross the bridge from living here to living where God wants us to be, what's, what's it worth to us? So I'm interested in the how. Philippians chapter 4 helps me with, I don't know, if you do a five point, I mean, we could do another round. We could do sermon number two and be here till noon. It'd just be me, but Philippians 4 helps me. Take a look at it with me, starting in verse 1. Therefore, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. And when my emotions are like, yikes, like a kite taken off in a gale, my first response is, I shall not move. I shall stand firm. I will not. Most of the time I get it. I will not act on these emotions. I will stand firm in who God is and who he says I am, which I am his beloved son. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. When, when I go crazy and I go to him in prayer and I say, Lord, this is, this is me. He goes, yeah, I made you. There's no surprise here. He speaks. I don't hear voices. <laughs> Just want to check in here. I read his word. He speaks. I hang around you. He speaks. And he comforts my heart as I stand firm in his promises while I wait for that big Mount Washington promise to come. Come back to the text. That's number one. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. There's, there's a part of life where you have to choose. For your own emotional health, your own spiritual health, your own well-being, you have to choose. Yeah, I just, I'm just from New England. I just love winter weather where it's cloudy and you can't go outside and it's cold. I'm just going to watch all the cable news today. No! <laughs> Run! <laughs> I choose Joy! I choose Jesus. I choose who he says I am. I choose what he's done for me. For I'm his. I'm bought. I'm redeemed. I've been rescued. That's who I am. We stand firm in the midst in trusting God. We make a choice to choose joy in the midst of our difficult pain, in the midst of that place where promise and our reality, man, I can't figure it. That's two. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious 
about anything. What? <laughs> about any? Yes. I, I have to say, you know me. I ain't there yet. But I know this. God is in my presence, and I can pray to him. God is at hand. I can pray because Jesus showed me what happens when that occurs. Jesus shows what occurs when he did that. His Father spoke. You've got to understand I'll direct it at myself. I have to understand that when my emotions tell me all is lost, that is the beginning of faith. When my emotions tell me there's no second chance, God says, he comes from my future and says, son, come and follow me, for I have the answers to life. Back to the text, that's three. And the promise and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Interesting choice of words there. If you've ever been in the military or in action, And it's nighttime. It's your turn to sleep. And you can hear the rounds going off outside the perimeter. How do you sleep? You sleep by trusting those that are on duty. You sleep by trusting those that are on the perimeter. You sleep by trusting in those that are doing the random patrols. Know this about God. You may sleep, but he never sleeps. You may close your eyes, but God never closes his eyes because he is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting father. He is my prince of peace. One last, how many, what number am I on? Chris Bove, have you been keeping track? No. One last one. We'll call it number five if it's not. Someone will send me an email. If your thought life is out of control, get some help. If your thoughts are like wild, there are some amazing, godly Christian therapists that can give you some tools to help rein those babies in and help you with a way forward. You don't have to do it alone. The fact that you're here today, the fact that you're watching from home, 
tells me that you have a value that says, I don't need to do it alone. Look at these last verses. They help me understand a way forward when I can't see a way forward and, and a way forward that prompts me to say, I need some help. Look at the verse 8. Paul uses a word that we're all glad to hear at 1103. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. I was a coach for 20 years. Great teams. And the way to make a great team is to break things down into their simplest component and then practice those things, repeat those things until you get excellence in the little things. And when you get excellence in the little things, you can build an amazing team that can pick apart the opponent. Our minds are like that. If we get the little things right, keeping our thoughts on purity, wholeness, what brings joy to our life, then we can tackle the big things and look at the promise. And the God, say it with me, and the God of peace will be with you. When we look at these Old Testament promises, they're just amazing. The prophet Isaiah, we've been on him for weeks now. He looks to that great Mount Washington moment, the millennial reign, the heaven, new heavens, new earth, and we long for those things. But we live here. And that's where letting Christ's peace know that he's bought it, he's given it to us. Knowing that in this world you will have, but he's overcome the world. And let not, but trust in him. Amen? We're going to invite Ben to come. He's going to provide a, just a little space for us to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning. Let's take a moment and prepare our hearts. Then we'll invite our worship team to come and close us this morning.
Lord, I thank you for this table this morning. For when I look to the past, I know that while I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Christ died for me. I know today that you, Holy Spirit, dwell in my heart and bring God's joy and comfort and peace. And I know that great mountaintop awaits. And so this morning, I give you thanks for Jesus. I remember him by taking this bread, remembering his life. We break this bread. Let's eat together. I remember Jesus and all that he's done for me. Being my substitute, ransoming me from sin and death. Let's drink the cup. Lord, we lift up our prayers to you this morning. We pray for our brother Dave as he ministers at the Concord Prison. We pray for Kay and Jennifer as they await news from the doctors. Lord, we pray for their healing. Pray for May and Kaylee and Tamar and Kathy. Pray, Lord, that you'd visit them with your presence and your healing. And we pray this morning for Jaylene Peatfield, who was taken to Leahy about an hour ago. And they're not quite sure what's going on. But you do, Lord. And so we lift up Jaylene to you and mom and dad and pray, Lord, that you would be present in their midst and that you would bring your healing to Jaylene, we pray. We pray for our hearts, Lord, and that where our emotions are like a whirlwind sometimes, we know, Lord, that you are the anchor of our soul. And so we put our trust in a God, in a Lord, in our elder brother, that we are safe and secure. In your hands, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Well, I'm glad to see your smiling faces this morning. It's really great. Those that are worshiping with us online, we know who 20 of you are. And if we don't know who you are, let us know. You're part of our family. We're glad you're worshiping with us this morning. If you'd like some prayer, Give us a call or come on up front afterwards. But would you stand and we'll let these guys and Ben close us out this morning. God bless you and Merry Christmas.